This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome. It's Friday. Thank you for being here. Thank you for making it through the week. I would like you to ponder this question. What um, do you suppose I would look like at 125 years old? <laughs> it's not a trick question. It is actually something I've been thinking about most of the day. I've been thinking about it for at least six and a half hours. The reason I ask that question is because I wonder what Caitlin Armstrong will look like at 125 years old because that's the first time I'll probably get to see her <laughs> at 125 years old. That's because she's just been told she ain't seeing the light of day until she's 125 years old. That's 90 years from now. She's 35. That is a very long sentence. But is it long enough, you ask? There she is, facing the judge. Man, can you imagine what she's thinking about right now? This is... Day one of 90 years behind bars. Now, I know how it works, so don't throw peanuts at the TV. It's your TV. You can do it if you like. However, I will tell you this. 90 years is the sentence, but we all know you get a shot at parole sometimes, and she gets one. She gets it after 60 years. So... You know what? I said 60. I meant 30 <laughs> when she's 65. <laughs> she gets a shot at parole in 30 years when she's 65. I wonder what she'll look like then. I wonder if she'll be lithe from her yoga and her meditation and her vegan diet. And if she'll have another 20 or 30 years of living. Because I'll tell you one person who won't. Mo Wilson won't. Because she shot Mo Wilson in the face. Twice. And then in the heart, once. So is it a fair sentence? You'll hear from her father in this program. Also, I have this question for you. Is 440 pounds too fat for jail? Take your time. Uh, because for one inmate, apparently so. He's been sprung. And he's a murderer. And he got sprung after only a year. And he put all that weight on in prison. So let's revisit this. Is 440 pounds too fat to be an inmate? Wait until you hear about what is going on with that guy. Um, he killed his girlfriend by stabbing her 57 times because she didn't like the crumbs he was leaving in bed. Oh, the irony. I, I feel faint. Is this the greatest escape of all time? Honestly, and lest you think, well, it's just a one-off, it ain't. I got a Florida story for you, too. That one tips the scales over 500. Okay, so that's coming in just a moment, and all the pictures. And can I just say, you should see the progression of pictures when you go up to uh, 440 pounds from 260 in a year. 
That's coming. And then I don't know if you saw this video. It's really stuck with me. I'm a homeowner. Maybe you're a homeowner. Um, you're watching this TV somewhere. And there's this guy in LA who is coming home to his wife and his new baby of five months. This was the video when scum of the earth jumped the wall of his home with their guns drawn, looking to invade his home and rob him. Guns drawn. And guess what they weren't expecting? He would have a gun drawn. And this thing would turn into the wild, wild west. Look at him go. He fired his weapon. He fought fire with fire. I personally cheered this moment. Because he said, hell no, no, not me today. Not my wife and baby in there. Guess what happened? Uh, the, the authorities have decided to revoke his gun permit. What? As in the hell. So he's going to join me on the show because I got questions. And I know you do too. Do not move until you hear this story and you hear him uh, talk about it. First, let's talk about this. Six and a half hours. If you put me in a room without my phone for six and a half hours, I think I would go nuts. How about you? Six and a half hours, just staring at a wall without your phone, without your comfy clothes, without your cushy pillow. I don't know what you're sitting on right now, your fancy chair or your comfy chair. Six and a half hours. Well, Caitlin Armstrong is only six and a half years, uh, hours <laughs> into her 90 years. Let's just imagine that for a second. She is six and a half hours right now at 10.05 Eastern time. Man, has she got a lot of years and a lot of hours ahead of her. And I don't know if she was thinking about it today when she heard that she was going to spend 90 years behind bars. I mean, she won't spend them. She'll die, more than likely. Or maybe not. Or maybe, maybe the math will actually be on her side. Because here's the math. Nine days of trial, two hours of deliberations for the guilty verdict, 90 years she serves 30 before she gets a shot at that parole board and gets to sit pretty and pitch her case to the group of people before her who will decide if she should get parole at her first crack. She'll be 65. She's 35 today. If she doesn't get parole at her first crack, it'll probably be mm, half decades or so each time she gets another shot. That's what the math is. But night number one, right now, what do you suppose it's like as she lays that long mane of red hair down on her prison pillow for night number one? I always wonder what night number one's going to be like, thinking about that sentence. Uh, for Mo Wilson, it won't change much for her. She doesn't get a pillow. She's in a grave. For her family, I don't know if they'll sleep better. They don't get her back. Look at that smiling face. Look at that. Look at that lost soul. Her brother said she was my best friend. Her parents haven't been the same since, obviously. So what will it mean for them, that sentence? I, I don't know if it's going to make them sleep any better. They don't have Mo. Mo is still going to be dead 30 years from now when Caitlin goes before the parole board. Mo is still going to be dead 35 years if Mo, you know, if, if Caitlin doesn't get that first crack. Mo is going to be dead forever. Caitlin will have a shot. By the way, the jury threw in an extra little uh, 
you know, thing. Uh, it was just a $10,000 fine. But it's something, you know, it's not nothing. I wanted you to hear the moment just so that you could either savor it or just contemplate it as Caitlin would be hearing it. Here it is. The defendant will please rise. In cause number D1DC 22301129, verdict of the jury for the offense of murder. We, the jury, having found the defendant, Caitlin Armstrong, guilty of the offense of murder, assess her punishment and confinement in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice Institutional Division for a period of 90 years and a $10,000 fine signed at 1.58 p.m. by the presiding juror. I thought I'd maybe see her head drop or something, and my apologies, my friends out there, for that camera angle, because we had no uh, control over that. We were lucky to have a camera in there at all for that moment, because this has been one of those judges, no cameras in the courtroom during the evidentiary phase, just openings, closings, and that, the verdicts. And mm, don't get me started, that's a whole other night. I will have that night. However, um, I'm sure that it was painful to hear 90, because it could have been five all the way up to 90. So I'm sure she was hoping for something on the lower end. Prosecutors said, don't, please, please, jury, don't go lower than 40. They didn't. They only shaved nine years off the worst things she could have gotten. Uh, News Nation's uh, national correspondent, Alex Capriello, was in the courtroom for this, and so uh, he has all the color. Uh, Here he is. Ashley, Caitlin Armstrong is now several hours into her 90-year sentence for murdering Mo Wilson. And just like the guilty verdict, it didn't take long for the jury to come up with her punishment. When the jury rendered their verdict, you could hear the sobs from Armstrong's family, most notably Christine Armstrong, the defendant's sister. The emotions continued in the courtroom when Caitlin Cash, Mariah Wilson's friend, the woman who found her bloodied body on the bathroom floor, took the stand for the third time in this trial. She directed her final thoughts at Caitlin Armstrong. They finally let me wash the blood off my hands in the police station bathroom. And I'll never forget that moment in the bathroom watching the sink turn red and wanting to put it back on my hands because it was the only thing I had left of her. Your actions caused that pain. Karen Wilson, Mariah's mother, also addressing Caitlin Armstrong through teary eyes, telling her what she did to her daughter has ripped through her entire family. When you shot Mariah in the heart, you shot me in my heart. You shot Eric. Caitlin Armstrong still has to face another criminal court for her attempted escape from police custody back in October. Those charges and that sentence will be completely different than the punishment she just received for murdering Mo Wilson. Ashley. Oh, Alex, thank you for that. Uh, that I'm just like trying to catch my breath after watching that mom. Can't imagine getting that kind of strength, knowing you're going to go up on the stand and face your daughter's murderer, the one who shot your daughter in the face twice and in the heart. Um, Eric Wilson is Mo's dad, and uh, he reacted to the sentence after court today. He said he thought justice was served. Here's how he put it. 
As a family, we believe justice has been served, and of course, we have many, many people to thank. But first, I want to thank God for giving us strength, comfort, and a measure of peace throughout this process. Uh, Caitlin's defense attorney, for uh, his part, gave a statement, and I'll just read it to you. Uh, We would like to thank the jury for their hard work over the last three weeks. The loss of Mariah Wilson is a tragedy, and our hearts go out to the Wilson family and to the family of our client, Caitlin Armstrong. No hearts going out to Caitlin on the 90-year news. And, you know, at 90 years for murder, I said it before, she gets an opportunity to be freed after 30. She'll only be 65. Is that tough enough? After shooting Mariah in the face, here to help me understand it is Brian Weiss. He is a criminal defense attorney in Texas and an old friend of mine who knows a lot about the law, an appellate expert. Brian, it's good to see you. I just, as a Texan, I wanted to get your thoughts about the fact that there wasn't even death or life with no parole on the table. Um, She got 90. They shaved nine years off this jury. Um, But what are your thoughts about this verdict? Ashley, first of all, it's great to be here and great to see you again after all those years. I think one of the things that resonates with me tonight, Ashley, is that this was a Travis County jury. Travis County is, of course, where Austin is the county seat. And we are talking about a municipality, a county that that by some standards makes the Bronx look conservative. And so the fact that a Travis County jury would turn around after two hours of deliberations, and I've had juries out longer and no test DWIs, and return a sentence of 90 years plus a $10,000 fine. And again, that fine is the ultimate statement, the ultimate notion that we're not digging your chili like they say in East Texas. And so the facts of this case resonated with this Travis County jury, and they came and they gave this defendant the proverbial punishment beatdown. So can I ask you why prosecutors would say, as the jury's heading out into deliberations, please don't give her less than 40? Why wouldn't they say, please don't give her less than 99? I mean, I I personally have seen cases that weren't as egregious as this. She was shot in the face. And I've seen life no parole for that stuff. Why wouldn't they have asked for a longer, heftier sentence than just 40? You know, Ash, that's a great question. I think speaking as someone with some prosecutorial experience, you always want to maintain credibility with the jury. And I think by lowballing this jury, if you will, and saying, look, nothing less than 40, they've maintained credibility with the jury and saying, look, this is the floor. It's certainly not the ceiling. And we're not suggesting that you shouldn't assess the maximum, only that you shouldn't, as a matter of justice and common sense, go any lower than 40. Okay, so I am always fascinated by juries. Um, I always wish I could be a fly on the wall, as does everybody in the criminal justice system or the orb. What do you make of the fact that they just shaved nine years off the max? Like, what message is that? What do you think was in their heads with that whole, oh, let's just, you know, cut it back by nine? You know, anybody that tries to second guess or first guess, if you will, what 12 citizens brought together is different from themselves as they are from the defendant, what they're thinking, particularly when it comes to assessing punishment in a non-capital case like this, you are better off playing the ponies at Aqueduct. You know, I tried a case back in the day when I was still trying cases, I think, in in the Reagan administration. And it was back in the days of the habitual criminal statute where two prior convictions meant automatic life. 
and we got a note from the jury. What's the difference between life and 99? And my client's like, well, what do they want to know? I'm like, I don't think you want to know. They ended up giving him 25. We talked to the jury afterwards. I said, why did you send out a note wanting to know the difference between life and 99 if you gave this guy 25? And they're like, you know, we figured this is the only opportunity we would ever have to get that question answered. We don't know what went on in that jury room. There may have been the traditional compromise verdict, although probably not a lot of compromise. I don't think you had anybody holding out for five or 15 or 10. And whether or not you had somebody holding out for life for 99 is, again, you know, one of those questions that we ask ourselves, like, you know, why can't we were white after Memorial Day? But at the end of the day, this verdict from a Travis County jury actually make no mistake. This is a huge W for Travis County DA Jose Garza and his prosecutors. That's a big win. It is. I, I do have to ask you about this whole notion of parole because we live really long these days. I mean, living to 90 isn't weird. Living to 95 isn't totally weird either. And she could get out uh, in 30 years, which is 65 years old. That's pretty young um, by a lot of standards now. Do you think she has a shot at the first crack um, at parole? Do you think she could actually get it on her first try? Give me a second. No, <laughs> I don't. Look, your typical defendant in a high-profile murder case such as this has a better shot of winning a daytime Emmy than making his or her first or even second parole. Look, we're in a situation right now where by the time this defendant takes a peek at the parole board, a couple of things. They may be colonizing Mars or, you know, we used to say, well, you know, her parole officer hasn't been born yet. Let me say this. Her parole officer's parents haven't even started dating yet. We are looking at tremendous time before she even comes within an area code of walking before the Board of Pardons and Paroles. And I'm telling you, there are no tougher group of people in this state than the people who Governor Greg Abbott appoints to hear pleas from defendants in high-profile cases like this. And Mo Wilson's brother will likely be alive, and so he can be there. He can be a part of the process, and I know what he will say. Brian Weiss, it's awesome to see you again. Let's do this again, shall we? You call me. I got unlimited minutes on my flip phone, Ash. Great to see you again. <laughs> Reagan administration. You don't look a day over the Clinton administration. All right. Brian Weiss joining us live tonight. I do have a quick update. I want to bring you in another case that we've been following closely, uh, the Alex Murdoch case. Um, Alex is already serving double life for murdering his wife and son. And now Murdoch is guilty again. This time it's for dozens of financial crimes. Um, he just took a plea deal, saying to the court, I am happy to be pleading guilty to these charges for a number of reasons. But we do imagine that the financial crimes are really uh, the least of, of his problems. So just ahead, a man who stabbed his girlfriend 57 times after she accused him of being a messy eater is apparently now too fat to be in prison. So says a court in Italy. In one year, that man ballooned up to 440 pounds and said that the, the courts, um, well, the food just wouldn't be good for me. And the courts apparently agreed. So, question is, is binge eating the greatest escape of all time? Wait until you hear the reasons the courts said, sure, it's next.
your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We like to cover jailbreaks on this show. Uh, we've done a few as of late, actually. So we did the guy that crab walked up. Cavalcante got out of you know his jail that way, and then we did another one in Georgia where four inmates just like carved out a oval and went through the wall, and then we also did Sean Williams, and I got some news on him in a minute, and it's interesting. But Sean Williams busted out of his prison transport van without anybody hearing, especially the two guards who were in that teeny tiny van. Uh, they just kept driving along to the courthouse, and he was out the back, and they didn't know. So we do that, but we didn't know that there was another way of breaking out of jail. Uh, eating your way out of jail. And I am not kidding, because Dimitri Fricano, it seems he's done just that. So here is Dimitri on the left here with his girlfriend. This is back in 2017. He actually kind of fit. Oh, he's not a big guy. He's sort of average, normal, maybe even on the thin side. Um, he actually ended up being sent to prison for murdering his girlfriend, stabbing her 57 times because she didn't like the crumbs that he was leaving in bed on their vacation in Italy. Wow, that is something. So then two years later, in 2019, he goes up to 260 pounds. He's a little more portly, uh, Spider-Man t-shirt. So you can see he's not the same as he was on that vacation picture. Then he got sentenced to 30 years at this point at 260 pounds. But there were COVID delays, so his sentence didn't really begin until 2020. 22, which would be a year ago, okay? And in that one year, since this Spider-Man t-shirt picture, 260 pounds, he somehow put on enough weight to hit 440. There he is there, 440 pounds in one year, from 260 to 440. I don't know how that happens. I, I struggle mightily with the whole weight thing, but come on, look at the transition. From 2017 on the left, to 260 pounds in the middle and 440 pounds on the right. And that 440 really ballooned in a year. So uh, the Italian court apparently ruled that he is incompatible with the prison regime. They said, quote, it's difficult for him to get around without a wheelchair or crutches. Uh, His high calorie diet served in the facility could kill him. Okay. And that he's a chain smoker. What? Italy. But if you don't think it happens in the United States, it does. Um, In 2014, a 551-pound man in Florida swapped out his prison sentence for house arrest. He had a 30-month sentence for his role in selling pills in a pill mill. Uh, The jail said he was too much of a burden on the jail, that he'd be unable to bathe or dress himself. So what is the status when it comes to obesity in jail? Is that the greatest escape ever? Larry Levine is with me now. Larry spent 10 years in multiple federal prisons at several different security levels. He is now the director of Wall Street Prison Consultants. It trains people how to survive behind bars. What is your take on this Italian jail that let him go because he's just too heavy for the jail? There's medical issues. Remember that it, in an Italian prison jail, they eat a lot of pasta over there. So this guy was like putting the feed bag on. I figure he gained about, what, four pounds 
a week now in a U.S. jail or prison. This wouldn't happen because you have a limited diet. But then again, I've seen people that are stuffing Snickers bars and Twinkies in their mouth. They're buying in the commissary and they're plumping out. But nothing like that. And if you get out of control, they have medical facilities. There's five of them across the United States, and they'll just send you there. Now, I saw people actually come in. I don't know if they weighed 440 pounds. I never asked anyone what they weighed, but I saw people come in off the street that were pretty heavy. And after a year or two, these people, they start losing weight. They're not gaining weight. This guy, obviously, you know, you go through mental issues when you first go into custody, depression. So I can see people eating. But before people get out, I mean, they lose weight. I dumped 50 pounds before I got out because I wanted to catch a woman. And that's generally what the inmates do. But for this guy to balloon up like this, he planned this, what, four pounds a week? Um, it's they insane, even go to the I, bathroom, I have to say, you know, I, you know, I wanted to ask. The, the jail says that they couldn't deal with him and that it was too dangerous, that the, the high-calorie diet in the jail could kill him. And I thought, well, hold it, because well, the way I've been seeing jails these days, they get vegan, they get halal, they get kosher, they get vegetarian. Can't they get low-cal diets, too? Well, yeah, they need to put him on a diet. I don't think he's going to stay at home the whole, what is it, 30 years. I think they're going to put him on some type of food restriction. Because he is on home confinement. So technically, he is in custody. And if they start throwing some type of penalties at him, we're going to add additional time to your sentence. Maybe that will motivate him. I mean, you're right. In a U.S. prison, they have vegetarian diets. They have what's called common fare, kosher food that they'll give you. They can control this if they want. They just had him in the wrong facility. But then again, in Italy, maybe they don't have the same classification system like they do in the U.S. Yeah, well, it's a it's a fascinating story. I'm going to follow this because I, I truly cannot believe it, but it happened. Larry Levine, I will have you back early and often. Thank you for this. Certainly. All right, I have an update now. Like I told you, on the Sean Williams fella, the guy that uh, went out of the back of the prison transport van in Tennessee, he is the serial rape suspect who escaped a month ago. He was spotted today in North Carolina. FBI says that Williams was seen at a shopping center uh, in the town of Silva. It happened about 1130 this morning. We have learned from a source that his daughter works at the shopping center and that he was seen buying glasses and candy. Hmm, I wonder if it was for her. Uh, they're apparently estranged. However, he is believed, uh, this man they are searching and who is wanted by the FBI as well, He's believed to have raped dozens and dozens of women and children as well, and he's facing several charges, including child rape and child porn. Anybody who sees Sean Williams is asked to call the marshals, please. 877-926-8332. Take a picture of your TV screen. Keep it handy. There's also a website there to give tips to the U.S. Marshals. Let's please all do our part to put that guy behind bars. South Carolina man accused of the brutal rapes of three teenage girls, just got himself a free ticket out of jail, and he only had to serve 16 months to get sprung. And if you think that is a gut punch, how about this? He wouldn't have spent any time behind bars at all had he just managed to stay out of trouble while serving out his original sentence. 
which was a paltry probation. Did I mention he's accused of raping three teenage girls? One of those girls took her own life in the months that followed. And after the break, her father joins me exclusively on the suspect's release and the bullying that their family has endured from the ex-cons family. You heard it right. That dad is next. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. seems fishy in South Carolina. That's where 21-year-old Bowen Turner allegedly raped three teenage girls between 2018 and 2019. And he snagged a pretty sweet plea deal on one violent rape, and he skated on two other accusations. And tonight, he is free to roam about the country after walking out of prison just 16 months after walking in. How, you ask? Good question. There's a lot of speculation that his father may have had an effect. Bowen Turner is the son of an investigator for the local prosecutor. And lest you think there's just this one hiccup at play, think again. While out on bond in 2019 for his second alleged attack, he allegedly raped his third victim. Under house arrest, he violated the terms more than 60 times. 6060. Court records show that he visited a golf course and restaurants and friends' houses and even the cemetery where one of his victims, Dallas Stoller, is buried. And the reason Dallas has a gravesite is because she took her own life after intense bullying after she came forward to report Turner's alleged rape. Four months later, Turner pleaded guilty to first-degree assault and battery, not rape, which is curious because the victim in that case was very much alive and willing to testify. And if you are keeping score, the first case against him was not pursued. And the second case against him involving Dallas Stoller, who took her life, was dropped because prosecutors said she couldn't testify from the grave. In his deal for case number three, Turner was sentenced to just five years probation. No requirement to register as a sex offender, no jail time. You would think at this point, Bowen Turner would take those very light licks and he would make quietly for the exit. No. Just one month later, in July of last year, he was arrested again, this time for disorderly conduct. And remember that sweetheart five-year probation sentence he got? Instead, that turned into jail time. But just this past Wednesday, November the 15th, After serving only 16 months of that five-year probation that should have turned into five years of jail, instead he got out, Bowen Turner got out, and to add insult to injury, his release came one day after the two-year anniversary of Dallas Dollar's death and her father's birthday. It has been a withering 
four years for the Stoller family, in part because they say Bowen Turner's family has been bullying them. You heard right. The accused rapist's family has been badgering the victim's family, telling them to stop making noise about their dead daughter's rape accusation. It's ruining our son's future. It's ruining Bowen Turner's future. Dallas Stoller's father, Carl Stoller, joins me now for his first national interview since Turner was released. Carl, I am so sorry for what you and your family have had to go through every step of the way. Were you notified? Were you consulted? Did, did you have any idea that, that Bowen Turner was about to be released 16 months after going into jail? Yeah, yes, ma'am. We were um, approximately a, a little over a month ago. We got uh, a recording, I think it was, from the South Carolina Department of Corrections. Um, it's called the Vine Network, um, and they notified us that uh, Mr. Turner was, was probably going to be released on or around the 15th of November of this year. And um, then we got a final confirmation call letter and a recording uh, maybe a week or two ago that his release date of the 15th was confirmed and he'd be getting out that day. The, the, I mean, all of this, every step of the way just seems, you know, gut-wrenching. But to hear that you have been badgered by this man's family, can you tell me what sort of treatment you've been getting from them? Well, it hasn't been. We haven't gotten anything from them since, uh, since after Bowen was uh, sentenced to uh, the original sentence that he received, the probationary under the what we call the White Youthful Offender Act in South Carolina, he was sentenced to four years, um, suspended to the service of five years of probation. And after that, um, it was a media outcry. Um, my daughters reached out, and um, there was, of course, a national media outcry in opposition to the sentence that Mr. Turner received. And um, we immediately started getting some phone calls from unknowns, block callers um, that said, hey, we're very sorry to hear about your daughter and that type of thing, but you guys are, your media outcry is ruining Bourne's future, and he has a bright future ahead of him, and we would just like for you to stop. And people, y'all just need to kind of, you know, quit. And, um, and again, those were block numbers. And then it wasn't long after that we got a couple calls, two, three calls um, that showed up under the Turner's name on caller ID. And at that juncture, we didn't take those calls. And at that juncture, we went ahead and contacted our attorney at her request when we, if we got anything like that. And she elected to move forward with uh, um, a no-contact order. And uh, the no-contact order was granted, um, in addition to, obviously, Bowen's and um, – we haven't heard from them since that time. Prosecutors dropped the case involving your daughter, Dallas, after she took her life, saying that, you know, they couldn't uh, have her testify against them. But there's physical evidence. There's a witness to this to this alleged rape. Are you do you have any recourse? Can you still go forward? Can you change this trajectory um, and get justice for your late daughter? Um, not very likely at this point. Um, um, it's, it's just probably not going to happen. 
the solicitor's office here in South Carolina that's handling uh, handle these cases, the Second Judicial Circuit Solicitor's Office in Aiken County, which is Bill Weeks's office. His deputy, David Miller, um, handled the cases, and um, and of course, Mr. Turner's attorney was State Senator Brad Hutto. And uh, so we 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 speculate there's some lot of things going on there that um, don't fully meet the eye, but. To, to Mr. Weeks, um, Mr. Miller's boss, he said he'd look at the case again, et cetera. And that was been a little over a year, year and year and 16 months ago, something like that, um, to see if there was anything that they could do moving forward to reexamine it. But they have not officially reopened it. And at this juncture, I highly doubt that they're going to going to do anything with it. I don't see any indication that they are, in spite of the fact that there is good physical evidence um, by daughter's own statements recorded prior to her death when she was initially interviewed and, and a couple witnesses um, and some possible videos that were taken at the party that could have some connection there, but that, none of that seems to matter now. It, it is just um, mind-blowing. And again, Carl, I'm so sorry for you and your entire family that you have gone through this. Please accept our Condolences. Your daughter just looked so beautiful in those pictures. Dallas is an infectious smile. Um, and, I, and I hope you guys can find peace. Thank you for doing this tonight. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. And you know what? I want to do something else. I want to make sure our viewers know that if you or someone you know has been sexually assaulted, there is help. Call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at one 800 656 4673. That's 1-800-656-HOPE. And coming up next, an L.A. man fights back against masked gunmen who ambush him at home with his wife and his baby inside, and it is all caught on surveillance video. If you cheered that he pulled out his weapon and he fought fire with fire, brace yourself. His gun license has just been revoked. Why? Why? He'll join me next. Live. Do you remember this video from uh, earlier this month? It was a homeowner in LA who was coming home. He had a cup of coffee and his keys, and he's about to walk to his front door. But behind him, over the wall, these two thugs jump over with their guns and they rush him at his front door with their guns drawn, and they did not know that he also had a gun, bam, here it is. He draws his gun, throws the coffee, and he fires, and it becomes a Wild Wild West gunfight. But they run for their lives. They're out there somewhere. What you might not have known about this video was that this homeowner, who literally is crouching behind his car, is protecting his wife, his five-month-old baby, and the nanny inside that home from those guys. They had just been robbed three months earlier. That homeowner is Vince Ritchie, and he is live with me now. Um, Vince, I watched that video. It, I was, I, it was heart-stopping. And then I see today they have taken your concealed carry permit away from you. What happened? Why did they do that? I really don't know. Uh, they haven't given me any written explanation and haven't told me anything. They just told me over the phone that I was suspended, and they called me today and said, well, it's been revoked. Now, uh, they told me who in the sheriff's department has revoked it, uh, a woman named April Tardy and under Sheriff Luna.
but I think that they didn't give me a written explanation because they were afraid of the media backlash that they could try to either go back on it, which I'm hoping they do, because now it's critical for me to have it to protect myself. Since these guys are now out there at large, armed, dangerous, and willing to shoot at me. Did anybody say if you could get it back? Because I feel the same way you do. You were already targeted three months ago to be robbed, then this, and they are still out there. They haven't been caught. Do you know if you can get your permit back? I, from, I asked them if there's an appeal process. They said no. But this is all over the phone. We emailed them countless times. We've called countless times. They refused to answer. They refused to answer emails. I think that this is part of the political system that's failing us. Honestly, I think this is part of the agenda in California, because from what I understand, the sheriff's department is praising me as a hero. The police department is praising me as a hero. They're doing everything they can. But then these few people that make decisions are then screwing me and leaving me out there to die, essentially. And, and I need to remind our viewers as they watch this, you are a legal permit holder. This was not something you did. You, you had every right to defend yourself. The guy drew a gun on you and they fired um, it, it's just, I mean, I think a lot of people were cheering the fact that you fought fire with fire. You fought back against these guys. I do want to ask you, you're, you got a five month old baby. You've got a wife and a nanny who are inside that home. I'm sure this has been extremely traumatic for them. How are they doing? Uh, I wish I could say better. It, it's been a lot. And honestly, at this point, I pray that nobody has to go through this. I didn't, uh, guys go away to combat. They trained for it. Police officers go into shootings like this and situations like this at work, and then they get to safety to go home. This happened at my home. This happened at the doorway of my home. This wasn't even a CCW issue. This was on my property, in my house. You know, I don't get involved in the politics. I try to give back. I try to do the most I can. My family gives back. My wife runs our charity, Trina's Kids Foundation, and she's now doesn't want to be in California. She's sick to her stomach. She feels like everybody let us down. And they're, they're stripping me of the ability to even continue to defend myself. It's, it's just, honestly, it's horrible. And I hope that nobody else has to go through this. Well, we'll follow it for you. Um, we're going to put the pressure on and ask the tough questions. And we're going to follow your story. Will you come back and talk to us? We're going to see if we can't maybe get some resolution here, Vince. A hundred percent. I want to give the sheriff's department the chance to do the right thing. Okay. I think this is a time for me them too. to step up and say, let's give this guy a chance. And I really appreciate you Could guys. Be a Thank big you so mistake. much. I, ho I hope it is. I hope it's a big mistake. All right, Vince, Richie, be safe. Please give our best to your family. Thanks for doing this tonight. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. See you soon. Vince Richie joining us live. Wow. And we will follow that. Also coming up, family of Rex Hewerman, the Gilgo Beach murder suspect, still has a lot of hardship and trauma to deal with months after Hewerman's arrest. But money? That, my friends, is not a problem anymore, and I'm going to give you a million reasons why not. Next. Uh, crime doesn't pay. I've heard that so often. That's what they say anyway. Uh, we sure hope it doesn't pay, right? It shouldn't the wrong thing to do. But if the crime is big enough and you're close enough to the action without being locked up yourself, sometimes you can come into money. And so can your lawyers. I call your attention uh, to this week's court appearance in the accused Long Island serial killers case. Um, that's Rex Hewerman, right? The guy who's uh, been brought in and doesn't have bail. That there's his wife in the middle. Uh, reported at the time that 
she's actually the soon-to-be ex-wife, her name is Aza Ellerup, uh, she's been struggling financially, and things have been rough for her and her two adult kids. But they came to court for the first time in a Mercedes, and there was a TV crew in tow. And tonight we can report exclusively that Ellerup and the couple's two children signed a production deal with NBC Peacock for a documentary about their ordeal. Uh, News Nation's Paula Froelich reports that they're being paid at least a million dollars for this. Their lawyers are getting about 600000 and they may not be the only family um, pondering a payday like this because Paula also reports that the family of Brian Koberger has a similar offer but has not signed on the 